0: Hey, this is Sayem Bhutani, and you're listening to Chai Time Data Science, a podcast for data science enthusiasts, where I interview practitioners, researchers, and calculus about their journey, experience, and talk all things about data science. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Chai Time Data Science Show. In this episode, I interview Bart who is a computer science undergrad at the University of Waterloo. Bart has just finished his software engineering internship at Google. And in this interview, we talk all about his internship where he worked on Swift for TensorFlow and contributed uh, to the project. We talk all about his experience interning at Google, Swift for TensorFlow, and OpenSpiel. This is a part of the Swift for TensorFlow release series uh, with the next episode being a interview with Dr. Mark Langto, a research scientist at DeepMind, where we of course, talk even more about Swift for TensorFlow research at DeepMind and of course, AlphaGo. So do subscribe or stay tuned if you would like to check that episode out. For now, here's my interview with Bart. Please enjoy the show. Hello, Bart. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast series. Yeah, no worries. Pleasure to be here. A pleasure to have you on the show. So you just finished your internship at Google, uh, which was all about Swift for TensorFlow, which we'll just talk about. Uh, You've also worked as a data science intern at a healthcare startup. Uh, you mentioned this during our offline conversations. Could you tell us how did you get started with machine learning or uh, data science, broadly speaking? Sure.
1: Um, I can even go a bit further back where um, when, so when I entered university, um, I think I'll discuss this a little bit later, but with our university, we got the opportunity to do a lot of internships mm-hmm. and my goal with all my internships were I wanted to try something new, um, every, every term. First okay. I tried full stack. Um, and then I tried iOS as my second internship. Mm-hmm. And then I really kind of saw my friends and others kind of get into data science and I kind of saw the buzz behind data science and I was just thinking to myself, like, let me try this for a semester. Let's just see how it is. And, yeah. um, uh, because I did my iOS internship at the health startup, I mm. went back to them and be like, is there an opportunity for me to try a data science? And uh, they said, yeah. And that's really got, got, got into data science. It was just kind of the early co- existing connection I had uh, with a previous employer and Great. just trying it out myself and seeing how it is. I did previously also do some like little side projects and like Udacity courses on myself. Uh, that was really my first kind of like professional experience.
0: Okay. Got it. Uh, So before we talk about uh, Swift for TensorFlow, um, could you tell us what so you have an interesting setup at your university and program could you tell us uh, the listeners more about it and what internships requirements do you have because you mentioned this and it's pretty interesting to me at least.
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, So I go to the University of Waterloo in uh, Canada. And with the University of Waterloo, I'm under I'm in the computer science co op program. And our university has a really intense co op program co op being just like internships. where we do six, four month internships in our undergrads. Um, Additionally, our our undergrad is is a four
0: four year course, right? Uh, So it's a
1: five year undergrad because of the six internships. Okay. So in total, like we do two years of internships and how it works is um, after the first year, it's like you do four months of school then four months of co-op, four months of school, four months of co-op, school, co-op, school, co-op all (laughs) the way until you graduate. We have no summers off. Okay. Sometimes uh, it sucks because like I finished my internship (laughs) on a Friday, I fly out on a Saturday. I stay home on Sunday, and need to move in back to school on Monday because <laughs> classes start Tuesday. Sometimes I have no no breaks. Interesting,
0: but I'm sure the payoffs totally worth it. At least maybe after you graduate.
1: Yeah, yeah definitely.
0: To help us set your, uh, set the stage for Swift for TensorFlow, could you tell us how did you end up applying to Google and why did you end up choosing the Swift for TensorFlow project that you worked sure. on?
1: Um, so those who are like, unfamiliar with uh, the Google um, intern hiring process, uh, you apply to Google like as a general intern. You don't interview with a specific team. You interview for like Google, okay. and it consists of like two interview two interviews like over the phone, like forty five minutes each, which are just the basic data structures, algorithms, and then you get to know whether you pass that stage. And okay. um, I passed that stage in July twenty eighteen. And I had to get an internship for the fall, just because of the co-op, my co-op program had to get an internship for the fall. Mm -hmm. And, um, I did not have enough time to find a team as after you get accepted to Google, you need to go into through host matching and host matching can take a while and I didn't have enough time to do it for the fall. So then my recruiter was like, let's just move this to, um, the next term. So you can find an internship for the summer. Mm -hmm. So while I was doing my data science internship, um, in San Francisco, I was going through the host matching process, and okay. um, the first the first person to reach out to me was my host, uh, Richard, uh, from mm-hmm. Swift for TensorFlow. And um, in total, I had two two interviews. The second one I wasn't too interested in. was like Objective C, iOS, I see. and and I didn't really want to go into back to iOS because I already did that before. I want to try something new. Mm-hmm. And uh, what Richard was looking for was someone who had iOS experience who knew Swift. And he was also interested in data science. And through my resume, he saw that I had both and we talked. And, uh, one of the big things I got, I think was a convincing point was that I wasn't really during my data science internship, I didn't really gain a huge, um, I didn't completely enjoy pure data science, like with the crazy models, um, data, pipelining, oh. uh, all the SQL, yeah. I really liked and was trying to look for a position which has more like the software engineering, like creating the frameworks. Things of that nature. And I kind of told them that I was like, I don't like pure data science, but I still want to be involved in this field. And that was kind of a perfect match for the project, because yeah. that's what that's exactly what they're doing. They're kind of creating <laughs> these tools for uh, machine learning uh, researchers instead. Yeah. And that's where we really kind of uh, found a match for that. Got that's it. Why I kind of got the, the ship
0: to linger on to that point for a little longer. Could you tell us how did you prepare for the because I know the interviews are difficult and the questions might be under India. So generally speaking, uh, how did you prepare for especially the data science and algo questions? Uh,
1: so with the those like the data structure and, algorithm questions.
0: Data and algo, sorry. Uh,
1: so with um, the way I, so it was really dependent. Um, but for when I was interviewing for the like host matching, like finding the team, mm-hmm. uh, it was not technical at all. It was just like me and um, okay potential host talking about like, oh, uh, this is the project. Are you interested in this? Do you know this? Would you do so you it was more, more of this?
0: a conversation rather than Yeah. Code.
1: However, the previous uh, interviews, the one which is like that initial screening with the two interviews, that's pure data structures and algorithms. And um, what I've always practiced was um, so a lot of my friends use like the typical lead code and practice lead code. What I do is um, I have this book called elements of programming interviews, specifically okay. the Python version. And I like it how it's basically, it sets up all these units. Like first it goes into string manipulation questions and arrays, binary search, search recursion, dynamic programming. And I generally go through the questions and um, read the solutions and understand the solutions as it very well um, sets up the the solutions in the way that you actually want to answer in an interview. Like for example, it goes into the naive um, approach, the brute force approach, discussing how it would work? Why isn't it efficient? And then it kind of goes further, like, okay, how can we improve on this and create the better final solution, which is the best. And that's exactly what um, interviewers come interviewers look for um, in interview, not so much to get the right answer, but can you explain how you got there? And it really kind of sets up well, the solutions to explain
0: how to get there. So I don't remember all of these topics. Do you think this is also good beginner recommendation in case? uh, They're new to these terms, the book?
1: Uh, I think it, it's, I, I, I'm, I actually went through that book even before I took some of the courses that I even taught in university <laughs> and um, okay. it definitely doesn't tell like, it's definitely not like heavy in like the theory, but it nicely mm-hmm. kind of shows you like how to implement it. And even the code is really easy to um, learn. Like if you're not familiar with dynamic programming through the book, you might be able to kind of really learn, learn it. Um, but also it's, you can very much kind of search up on like geeks for geeks, which also has a bunch of explanations of yeah. like, what dynamic programming is and things like that. Got so it. I think it's very good uh, beginner book. I got it my, my in my first year as well.
0: Okay. I'll make sure to have it linked in the description in case anyone uh, wants to check it out. Uh, now coming back to your internship before we talk about what you worked on, could you help me set the stage by telling us what Swift for TensorFlow is all about and what promise does it hold in your opinion?
1: Sure. Um so yeah, like think of like Swift TensorFlow is like um I think what the team manager Brendan always kind of says it's we want to kind of create an infinitely hackable platform. Yeah. Um in the sense of the way uh, the current um data science machine learning e- ecosystem is is you have this very like thin Python layer and then just a bunch of C code underneath. And yeah. and C can be very complicated to write and even through my internship to talking to people who write C code at Google, they're it's hard to find uh, person who really enjoys writing um, <laughs> That's really interesting. and I, and what's uh, swift's trying to kind of come and do is you it, you're going to write the top layer in swift and every layer underneath in swift it's entirely in swift so if you for example wanted to write your own layer or you wanted to look at the implementation you just simply like command click and go to definition and it automatically puts you to the definition of where this where the convolutional layer is defined and you can exactly look through it and you don't need to learn a new language and understand any more context because it's hard to jump on the Python code to C++ because they need to get familiar with the C++ code, but with Swift, it's all in one and yep. yeah. And additionally, Swift has some benefits of, of being just as fast as C++. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's statically typed unlike Python, so it's all type checks. So they're not gonna have like some error three hours in saying you're past the string and they're trying to add a string in an integer Uh, three hours in the training or something like that. Yeah. Um, Additionally, one of the goals that I think I was working on was also was um, making the first differentiable programming language. So being able to just take derivatives of any arbitrary function.
0: Got it. But uh, one of the things that I sort of am concerned about is C++. It's maybe okay for researchers, but uh, really for the practitioners who don't have a programming background, they're comfortable with Python right now? Do you think Swift would be easy for them to pick up or that might be sort of a challenge for them?
1: Um, so I think the, what I think the biggest, the people who are most excited about, I think uh, the Swift for TensorFlow project, I think is like two groups, um, iOS developers and um, some of the people who are implementing like the C++ code. Um, the people, are, the reason why is, firstly for iOS developers, the way you write models for iOS apps um, isn't, um, uh, very smooth in that you still have to write your Python uh, models, train your Python models, export it, and then basically just dump it into the um, your iOS application. And with TensorFlow, you can write the entire model in Swift, put it on your iOS um, app, and you can do on-device training and all, all that. Mm-hmm. Similarly, C++ Plus developers are excited because it's no more C++. Plus. <laughs> um, but with the Python, I think there's going to be some trouble, mainly because it's it's not as, like, uh, Easy, not as easy to read mainly just yep. because it's statically typed. Um, however, it's, if you ignore like this, how it, the fact that it has types, it can be just as easy as writing uh, Python code. Additionally, because Swift is known as primarily, uh, iOS, Mac OS, um, uh, programming language, and even though it's still general purpose and it works yeah. on windows, even it works on Android. Um, I didn't know that not, okay. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. It's, yeah, it works on Android as well. There's someone, okay. um, uh, open source computer, supporting that. Um, the problem is that there's not a big, I guess, data science community behind it, and as mm-hmm. such, some of the libraries that uh, exist in Python, like NumPy, uh, Matplotlib, um, Sklearn, Pandas, doesn't exist yet in um, Swift. Swift. And as such, um, it's hard for I think right now um, Python people to move over to Swift just because mm-hmm. the community's not there. However, yep. over time, I think we can really build a community, especially once we get this differential programming uh, feature into the Swift uh, programming language.
0: Uh, also given the promise, do you envision that developing the pandas and NumPy analog would be easy compared to the efforts that it took for Python? Once uh, Swift reaches that stage, of course.
1: Um, uh, I'm, not too, I'm not too sure. Uh, but like just the fa- I think just the fact that I think I'm not sure about pandas, but I know NumPy for sure is implemented all in like C. Um, yeah. It could be easier because again, like with Swift, it could be just as fast as C or your C++ code. Um, it could be much faster to implement. Um, of course, though, those uh, libraries have been worked on for many years. So it, it will, could take some time to uh, uh, increase, like, really bring it up to, to date. So yeah. yeah, I really think the C++ and the Swift it, it developers will use it. Uh, will take some time to really convince those Python programmers to move over.
0: Got it. Now coming to the parts of uh, development that you were involved, uh, could you speak to that and uh, what all aspects of the project were you involved in while you were uh, interning at Google?
1: Sure. Uh, so I was working on like, one of like, the, the sub-teams where we were basically making Swift a virtual programming language, so adding automatic differentiation uh, into the compiler. And for those kind of unfamiliar with like, automatic differentiation, you can define your own function. Let's say foo, which takes in a float, outputs a float. And all it does is let's say returns X times X, mm-hmm. you ask for the gradient, you ask for the derivative and it will generate a function at compile time, which is the derivative function, or it will be the function that gives you the gradient. Yep. Um, so I was working on a couple aspects of that uh, because when I was coming to my internship, I didn't really know compilers and also how to create this, like how to create libraries. Industry. I literally came from a background of being like kind of the consumer of libraries and never even working on compilers. I started off working on making uh, standard library types differentiable. So okay. in Swift, there's a, a, a type called uh, SIMD, mm-hmm. and, which is kind of like this fast uh, vector that can execute really uh, quickly on pro- uh, processors. Okay. Um, so I made that differentiable. I was also making complex numbers differentiable. Uh, because we want to investigate how do complex numbers behave in our system, because mm-hmm. there's a bit of intricacies to, ha- to whether a complex number or complex function can be differentiated, specifically regarding uh, cauchy riemann equations. Um, okay. And then I kind of went into the compiler work. Um, and one of the things that we want to do with our kind of final system is have uh, functions defined as differentials. So like, if you have a function x times y... The differential is dx times y plus dy times x, right. uh, Because in our implementation, you define all these primitive um, derivatives. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is that that's kind of like this forward mode differentiation. However, for example, in backpropagation uh, with neural networks, you use reverse mode differentiation, where basically you are have the scalar um, a loss, and you're taking derivative kind of backwards. Yep. Because with forward mode, you can think of if you have a function X, Y, Z, and an output some A, you're taking in forward mode, the derivative with respect to X, the derivative with respect to Y, the derivative with respect to Z. Um, okay. But in reverse mode, you just take the derivative with respect to A, your output. And okay. in one pass, it gives you the reverse. So, but the of thing course. is, reverse can be hard to understand. Um, so what we, we implement are these things called the transposes, okay. um, which are like the, or like the transposable functions. Um, to kind of uh, explain what kind of transposable functions are is they're basically like linear functions. If you have a function, let's say y equals mx plus b, the derivative everywhere is m. It's Mm -hmm. m at x equals a million, x equals five, everywhere it's just m. Uh, And that's a linear function and that's a transposable function. But when you have something like uh, the quadratic function, y equals x squared, the derivative is two x. And Mm -hmm. the derivative is not the same everywhere at x equals negative five. It's different than what it is at positive five. And that's not a transposable function because it depends on that original input. And what we can do is, um, because the derivative is basically your tangent of, let's say if you have X squared, it's just the tangent line at some point. This is a linear line. And what we can do is we take that function, which is linear because it's <laughs> just a straight line tangent. We can reverse or transpose it. And by transposing all these linear functions, we can get the reverse mode. And through reverse mode, we get a really efficient backpropagation um, for okay. your neural networks.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: what I was adding was I was adding the type checking for whether a function can be marked as different, uh, marked as transposable um, with respect to all these different variables. And because the function, sh- function signatures can change. Like if you have a function um, X, which takes in a float, outputs a float, and just does X plus Y, let's say. Yeah. Uh, the respect to both, or sorry, the transpose respect to both inputs is a function which takes one input and two outputs. Mm. Uh, with respect to just one of them, it just takes two inputs and one output still. If it's with respect to just a single uh, input, so it's doing some of the type checking there. Cool. Um, and then finally, I was working on implementing the forward mode AD because okay. at, at that point we only had reverse mode AD, mainly because we wanted that efficient. Um, uh, gradients calculations for the backpropagation of your, the neural network models. Mm -hmm. Um, But we want forward mode because it's just more intuitive and um, easier to understand for users and people who would use um, Swift um, in other areas, other than um, deep learning, they wanted to use it in like ray tracing or something like that. (laughs) Uh, So I was implementing out the forward modes, which basically is looking at the original program and spitting out the differential. Okay. I have, uh, I think I'll probably send you this after I have a couple of, um, I think resources to anyone interested in how I implemented this. I did, I think, uh, one of the open design meetings, I presented the implement de- implementation details of how a forward mode works. Mm-hmm. And additionally in there, I explained as well, um, how control flow, uh, works as control flow can be a bit, uh, difficult. And that was really my final cut project was just the forward mode stuff and yeah. Okay. Of There's still a lot more work to do on the project. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I'm sure about that. A uh, quick shout out to the Swift for TensorFlow team who's been kind enough to run these open design meetings, as you mentioned. So literally anyone anyone of the listeners, if you want, you can jump on the design meetings and even talk to Chris Latner himself, <laughs> of course, if you have the right ideas. So please do attend those in case you're interested.
1: Yeah, we have uh, also a mailing list that uh, people can join and in there we kind of announce. Uh, what we're doing um, during those open design meetings. And as well in that uh, mailing list, you can ask any questions you have about any bugs you're experiencing or any more information about the project or how to I, contribute
0: as well. I'll make sure to have it linked in the description for anyone who's interested. Um, in hindsight, uh, you talked about all these concepts, uh, which some of uh, these would be easy, given the math background, you uh, might be undergoing at your university, but in hindsight, how difficult was it to understand how this is being implemented in the background, and then work on it after that?
1: Uh, It definitely was, it was very difficult. It was like, um, I took um, three calculus courses prior to that that internship. And when I joined the internship, sure, it's all about derivatives, but automatic differentiation is very (laughs) different, especially the reverse mode. Like it took me a couple, couple of weeks to figure out exactly how reverse mode works. Like, what does it mean what is the reverse, deri- yeah. like the reverse derivative of a function? Um, uh, so definitely took a lot of just looking at the, the existing functions, talking to my host, other mentors, other people on the team. Um, but after that, I really got a hang of it. And additionally, the compiler details, uh, were, were really, really difficult, but, <laughs> um, it was definitely like, I really needed the help of kind of like with my hosts and my mentors. To really, kind of understand it's a very tough kind of thing to get into as um, a new open source contributor. As a new mm-hmm. open source contributor, it's very difficult to get into the compiler, um, especially with the AD stuff. Right. Um, however, there's definitely, I think, a lot of great opportunities, for example, in some of our other parts like uh, creating new models, um, making existing stuff differentiable, and things like that. So, more on the Swift level, not so much the compiler level. Okay. As the compiler level can be uh, very tricky um, for people. Like I think we've had, actually, we did have an open source contributor, um, Anthony, uh, who's a PhD student at CMU. But with him, he really has experience working on compilers beforehand.
0: Got it. Uh, Now, coming to the experience of interning at Google, uh, like you mentioned, your host, uh, I'm sure would have been helpful uh, while you were picking these topics up. Could you also speak to the experience in general? And what did a day in your life look like while you were working there as, I think they call it a nuclear? I'm not too sure. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. Noogler. Yeah. So yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, for any new full-timer, they call them like Nooglers. Okay. Um, in terms of day in life, um, like what I think generally speaking, one thing I really liked about my internship was the lack of meetings. There was a lot okay. of fewer meetings than I was expecting, or, or at least I had <laughs> during my previous internships. Okay. So during the day I had a lot of time to work. And um, generally what I did was I lived nearby. So I either took the bus to work that Google provided, or I also had an electric skateboard. That I wrote to work. Um, just had the breakfast and then, yeah, boost board. Yeah, sort <laughs> <I started laughs> of board. Um, and um, then just had breakfast. Sometimes by myself, sometimes someone else. And then just generally, depending on if there's no meetings or meetings, um, I work till like lunch. Um, and then with my team or some people, I grab lunch. And then we kind of either sit outside or sit at the, the common tables in our building uh, with a variety of people. Um, then just back to work. And then I think around like six or something we went out um, for dinner with some with some people even from some other um, teams. Um, like I went a lot uh, out for lunch with uh, someone called Mike Burroughs. Um, and he was, he was really fun to go out. for It's okay. a lot of great stories.
0: What one thing that I really envy from this uh, point of yours is you don't even mention the lunch at Google. So this is derived from the point when I interviewed for the AI residency, and you don't even recognize that the lunch is so amazing uh, <laughs> at Google. So that's something I really envy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it was, it was I think I was gonna kind of used to you. So even like, because like a lot of the it's kind of like, a lot of those companies in the Bay Area, kind of like, if you don't provide lunch or something, you're not like <laughs> the, the Bay Area company. So even like with my previous uh, internships, okay. I had lunch provided as well.
0: Makes sense. But still, Google wasn't the best of it compared to others. Uh, the food? Yep.
1: Uh, one thing that's generally kind of people say is the Google complex, like the Googleplex, which is where I was working. Has not the best food. Uh, For example, when I went to like uh, DeepMind in England, uh, they had really, really, really good food over there. Uh, It was much better than what they have like on Googleplex campus.
0: Interesting. You also mentioned, and I also found this image on Twitter. I'll try to Photoshop it into the video after I did it. But you got to meet uh, Jeff Dean and Geoffrey Hinton himself. Could you tell us more about that? And can you confirm or deny if Jeff (laughs) Dean is an AGI or not?
1: Uh, in terms of AGI, it's kind of hard to say because it's got the like Turing test, right? So <laughs> if, if he is an AGI, then how am I supposed to know?
0: Yeah. He must be a really good
1: AGI. <laughs> okay. Um, but in terms of background, um, so this was during my first week of my internship. Still, like, orientation was going on and everything. And at the time, I was at my desk, I think just setting up my computer, just setting up everything. And I think my, my mentor was like, oh, uh, there's a celebration for Jeffrey Hinton for his Turing Award. Uh, let's go there and just check it out and see what's going on. And I went there with everyone, with, with everyone and kind of saw like uh, Jeff Dean uh, just talking about and kind of celebrating everything that Jeffrey Hinton has accomplished. And there was a bit of cake. And then I was like, okay, this is nice. Take a couple pictures. And then I kind of went back to my desk.
0: Okay. Uh, but
1: then after sitting sat on my desk for like a minute, I was like, no, I got to go back there and somehow i get a picture with them. <laughs> um, so I went back there and then I was looking around and I saw um, Jeffrey Hinton, Jeff Dean, uh, Sergey Brin, and then uh, Mike Burrows, all standing in circles. I was like, okay, let me go talk to them for a little bit and see if I get a picture with them. And perfect moment. <laughs> yeah, it was perfect moment. It was, mode. It was right, right time. All of them were just there together.
0: Got it. Uh, so you also mentioned you got to visit the DeepMind office. Could you tell us more about the visit and maybe how was the office experience in general?
1: Sure. Um, so I think in uh, July, uh, my team and I went to DeepMind uh, for a little trip. And there was like uh, some stuff we worked on. Um, not everything I could talk about, but like one of the things I could definitely talk about is what was released end of August called um, OpenSpiel. Uh, I'll talk about OpenSpiel a little bit after. Um, sure. And that was some of the stuff my team got to work on um, with me because of just the internship kind of timeline. Mm-hmm. I was very much focused though, on my project and getting forward mode AD implemented. Okay. Um, in terms of like the, I guess the office experience, it was. I really like Google's uh, England office. I really like England and London, especially. I much prefer London, England, than like San Francisco or New York it or doesn't. Toronto. It's definitely my favorite city. Okay. Um, what else? Um, yeah, you know, I got to talk also like a bunch of like people. Some of the some engineers on like who made AlphaGo. Uh, <laughs> and then also um, I saw like the room with kind of like the Alpha Star stuff going on. Um, I also got to talk to some, some like like the CTO Dan Belov. Uh, it was a lot of fun. T- really getting t- to talk to and know people, and also even talk to some uh, existing PhD interns because I was really interested in like determining whether uh, the PhD is right for me. Mm-hmm. So I kind of really talked to a lot of them and being like, should I do a kind of like a PhD? Is this the right thing for me? Okay. Um, Yeah.
0: Did you get to play with the bot as well? So go or chess? Oh no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And can you confirm or deny if researchers at DeepMind are from completely another dimension? Can they just read equations and turn that into code in the back of their head?
1: Adam uh, Everyone's very much even like with Google and like talking to Chris and every, everyone, everyone, uh, even like just Google brain, everyone's just very down to earth and very much is very um, open to talking to you. And they're not like, it doesn't feel like everyone's kind of above <laughs> you of sorts. It feels everyone feels just like very normal of sorts.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, So to talk more about OpenSpiel, could you tell us what that project was all about? And I think it was also presented in an open design meeting, so I'll have that linked in the description.
1: Yeah, it was presented there as well. Um, So what it is, is it's kind of like um, uh, OpenAI's gym, Mm -hmm. in that it's a reinforcement learning environment. However, there's a lot more, I guess, um, a variety of environments. Um, They're not just kind of like this Atari and games, these like perfect formation games there's a lot of these like imperfect information games like poker, Ladoo poker, um, uh, even other kind of board games or like uh, tic-tac-toe, things like that. It's all these different types of games um, to to, to give to researchers um, in both reinforcement learning, but also like game theory. Because Mm -hmm. with reinforcement learning, reinforcement learning doesn't always work, for example, in in imperfect information games. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's great for researchers kind of um, Looking at how do we kind of handle and solve these imperfect information games, um, and also when, so what we, we kind of did um, was some of these um, existing algorithms that the DeepMind team has implemented in Python, we kind of ported it over to Swift. So I think we had like tic-tac-toe, uh, Kuhn poker, La poker, uh, Texas Hold'em, and also a couple algorithms like um, exploitability descent which is a really good algorithm which tries, which kind of like is based on game theory, where it tries to emulate the Nash equilibrium. And is really good in these imperfect information games like poker. Okay. And there's Uh, also a lot of work to be done, um, porting over some stuff to Swift for if anyone's interested.
0: for sure. Uh, I also want to drop a quick plug. So I actually interviewed Dr. Mark uh, Langto, who's also on the OpenSpiel team and is a contributor to AlphaGo. I think that episode will be out after your episode goes up. So for the listeners do uh, stay tuned for that in case you're interested. Now coming back to the internship, if we could maybe zoom out a bit, and uh, if you could talk about how's the experience in general, uh, while working with the amazing engineers and researchers at google uh, any mindsets or uh, personality takeaway that you might have had from uh, just working with them sure
1: um, so one thing is that like google's a really big company so i think like every um, intern's experience is different um, yeah. so like some people have a much different experience than i did like i think with my experience it was very unique and the places i got to go people i got to talk to the work i got to do um, and with it, with the thing, the biggest thing I got out of it was, um, even though kind of as an, even though I'm kind of young and an intern, yeah. don't be afraid to really, um, make an opinion and really kind of try and make a base, like an impact on the project in that, um, try working on these small pro like these new projects that are mm-hmm. coming out and see if you can like really influence that project and really work with some of the developers as an intern to steer it in the right direction and really give your input. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't be afraid to just, yeah criticize what's going on and be like, I don't think this is the right approach. Um, we should try something different. That was the one what the big, biggest thing I think got out of it was really making my own opinion and
0: acting on it. Um, now, when when you were working with the team, you were already familiar with Swift, but for anyone who recognizes uh, the future of Swift and is maybe excited to jump on board uh, with the contribution you have any favorite uh, go to resources for beginners who just want to get started with Swift specifically? Um,
1: Forget the name of the book. There's, de- there's definitely a lot of resources out there, like in terms of like a, if you're if if you're kind of more of a reader. Mm-hmm. I think there's like a Ray Winder Ray Winderland Ray Winderlich. Book, yeah, um, which really kind of goes into like a really intro into Swift and how Swift is and some of the syntax. Um, for those kind of more just kind of curious, like just the overview, we made um, we ported over um, I think some tutorial which kind of goes into how do arrays work. And things like that um, as a Colab tutorial on our GitHub, uh, our TensorFlow Swift GitHub.
0: Got it. Uh, Also, it's again I I believe an open area of contribution. In case you'd like to create more resources, like Python has this amazing wide variety of resources. So once you pick these up, maybe come back to the community and give uh, more resources if you like. Yeah. Uh, So my final question to be uh, to you would be: uh, What advice do you have for maybe? Freshman Bart or someone who's just starting out with open source contributions and uh, someday wants to contribute to Swift for TensorFlow?
1: Sure. Um, So I think like for contributing to Swift for TensorFlow, I think the biggest uh, thing, uh, like the best areas to do it is take a look at some of the existing starter bugs either on Jira or the issues tab on some of our repos. Like we have, if if you for example, are more interested in the APIs, like how is convolution uh, implemented and maybe you want to add another type of layer, um, okay. you can look into like the Swift APIs repo. Um, okay. One thing is if you already have an existing background with uh, deep learning and want to, let's say, implement a model in Swift, um, what we are doing is if you implement a model in Swift, um, like a new model and um, it works and everything's great, you can, you can uh, bring it into uh, the Swift models repo and really kind of bring, these existing, um, bring it into like our model garden and have these examples written in Swift that people can use. So there's kind of like a variety of areas. Like if you're interested in creating the, the, the models, you can create, create your own model in Swifts. bring it here. If you're interested more in the APIs and um, looking at like, the Swift APIs is, is good as well.
0: Got it. All right, uh, this has been an amazing conversation. Before we end the call, what would be the best platforms to follow you and follow your work?
1: Um, I think my best will be my Twitter. Um, okay. Uh, which is un- all un- like all lowercase B-A-R-T
0: underscore C-H-R. Okay, cool. I'll also have it linked in the description in case you all want to check it out. Uh, thank you so much, Bart, for joining me on the show and talking all about Swift for TensorFlow. That's great. we we'll talk to you. Likewise. Uh, thanks again for joining me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give it a review or feel free to shoot me a message. You can find all of the social media links in the description. If you like the show, please subscribe and tune in each week to Chai Time Data Science.